Please be seated. Before we get started, I need to warn you that uh, Jew has been uh, teaching us uh, Portuguese this afternoon. So if I break out into a whole long, you know, sentence or paragraph or whatever in Portuguese, just, you know, forgive me. I just have to repeat the same three words I know over and over again. But a couple of weeks ago, we began a study of the parables of Jesus. And we began with the uh, parable, I call it a parable, of the wise and foolish builders that we find at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, the lessons that we gained from that are that we have to do more than hear and listen. We have to do what Jesus says. And we made mention that, that, you know, that would be a very uh, fitting parable as Jesus begins his ministry. The idea of you have to do more than just listen to what Jesus says. You have to do more than just hear what Jesus says. You have to put it into practice. And we see in James that James says the same thing about being careful not to be hearers of the word only, but doers of the word. And so that kind of leads us to tonight's parable, which is the parable of the sower. And the parable of the sower is what most people recognize uh, as the the, the first parable that Jesus uh, told. It also is a fitting first parable as well. It's found in Matthew chapter 13, Luke chapter 8, but we're going to read from Mark chapter 4. That's... As I said, this parable is found in all three, but we're going to look at Mark. This is one of the few parables that Jesus explained. You know, a lot of the parables, we have to make our own assumption. We have to make our own opinion as to exactly what is meant by the things in the parable. Now, Jesus oftentimes makes it very clear. A lot of times an event, something happens. Uh, and Jesus tells a parable right after that, and the parable makes sense in light of the question that was asked or the situation that was uh, at the time. Other times, though, there are some parables that, that uh, in, at least where we have them recorded, there doesn't seem to be much of a context to them, and, and we Jesus doesn't explain them, and, and so we have to kind of make our own evaluation, our own interpretation of what Jesus was talking about in the parable. Well, maybe it's because this is one of his first parables. Jesus actually explained what the parable means. But in Mark chapter 4, beginning in verse 1, it says, Again, Jesus began to teach by the lake. The crowd that gathered around him was so large that he got into a boat and sat in it out on the lake while all the people were along the shore at the water's edge. He taught them many things by parables. And in his teaching, he said, listen, a farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they were withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among the thorns, which grew up and choked the plants so that they did not bear grain. Still other fell on the good soil 
And it came up and grew and produced a crop multiplying 30, 60, even a hundred times. And then Jesus said, he who has ears, let them hear. And Jesus goes on and then in verse 13, he begins to explain the parable. Jesus said to them, don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand any parable? (laughs) It's kind of like Jesus said, this is about as easy as it gets, folks. If you don't get this parable, I don't know how you're going to get the rest of them. How then will you understand any parable? The farmer sows the word. Some people are like seed along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. Others, like seed sown on the rocky place, hear the word and at once receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Still others, like seed sown among thorns, hear the word. But the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Others, like seed sown on good soil, hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop 30, 60, or even a hundred times what was sown. Now, as we look at this parable, there's really, there may be more, but, but I think there's two ways that we can interpret this parable. One interpretation would be where we view ourselves as the sower. And we go out and we sow the seed and we sow God's word. And we see the differing results in the people around us depending on their hearts and depending on their situation. And and so the, the different soils represent the other people out there. And we represent essentially the sower. And I've heard that preached many times and and I think that that is certainly a valid uh, interpretation of the parable. But there's also another way in which we are the soils. Not the people out there, but we are the soils. And we have to evaluate our own lives and our own hearts and determine how exactly we are accepting God's word that has been planted within us. And so we're going to look at actually both interpretations tonight, but we're going to focus mainly on the second interpretation. But we're going to start with the first, if that makes any sense. So as we think about the idea of us being the sower, there are some general principles of sowing that I want us to think about. Now, you do notice this is S-O-W, not S-E-W, because I know no principles of sowing that is S-E-W. And you're thinking what I just thought of, I know no principles of sowing this way either, but I've made some up, so we're going to go with that. The first one is, we are to sow. While God is the ultimate sower of the word, the word originates with God. And while, you know, he, he is the ultimate sower of the good news, we are his sowers. We are his farmers here and now. We are the ones who take the word to other people. You know, God could have chosen another way, couldn't he have? God could have chosen to have angels descend out of heaven and declare the gospel message 
In which case there would be virtually no excuse for not listening, right? I mean, if I'm out walking around and all of a sudden angels appear in the sky and they start telling me things from God, I'm going to listen. I'm going to listen. But God didn't choose to do it that way. God chose to use his people. Paul talks about the fact that we are, that we have a treasure in an earthly vessel. You know, in other words, we got, we got something really important in a pretty yucky box. That's kind of what Paul is saying. And it has nothing to do, the point is it has nothing to do with the box. It has nothing to do with the vessel. It has to do with what's inside. It has to do with the message. Jesus tells us in the Great Commission that we are to go and preach the gospel to all nations, or to all creation. And that is our commission, to be sowers of the seed in the world around us. I think we see that happening very specifically in Acts chapter 8, the first few verses. You remember in Acts chapter 1, Jesus says to the disciples as he's about to ascend into heaven... He says, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and all the parts of the world. Well, we go seven chapters deep into the book of Acts. And about the only place the gospel has gone is Jerusalem. Everybody has stayed in Jerusalem. The message is not getting out. And you remember in Acts chapter 7, Stephen is stoned. And because, or after Stephen was stoned, a great persecution came upon the church. And many people then scattered. And it says in Acts chapter 8, in the first few verses, that those that were scattered preached the word wherever they went. Wow. It's almost as if, it's almost as if God said, if you people aren't going to do what I told you to do, I'll find a way to get it done. It reminds me a little bit, almost, of the Tower of Babel in Genesis chapter 11, where God told them to, you know, spread out and multiply and all these things. And they didn't, they just stayed in one place. They started building this, ta- uh, this tower. So he confused their language and he spread them out. But the point is that everywhere they went, they went preaching the word. They went sowing the seed. We have that responsibility. Each one of us in here, every person in here has a unique set of opportunities to share the gospel with people. Even husbands and wives. There may be husbands, you know, we got husbands and wives in here, but as husbands and wives, you may have a, a, a group of friends in which you are both friends. But then my guess is that you as a husband or you as a wife, you have acquaintances that you're more friendly with than your husband or your wife, or you see people at different places. Now, some of you men may drive your wives to the beauty shop and you may sit in there while she's getting beautified. But my guess is that's one place where 
She has a opportunity that you don't have. Meeting people that you won't meet. Reverse would be true at the barbershop, I guess, you know. But each one of us. Now, if we take the whole congregation here and we begin to kind of circle our opportunities, our peer groups, the people we come into contact with. With all of us in here, there's going to be a lot of overlap. But there's going to be some situations where there's no overlap. Some of you in here have an opportunity to reach somebody that not another single person in here has that opportunity. It's you alone. It's me alone. And we have the responsibility. We have the privilege of sharing with them the message of the gospel. We cannot neglect the sowing of God's word. You know, one thing about the parable of the sower... If the sower hadn't sown the seed, it'd have been a short parable, right? If the sower hadn't sown the seed, there would have been no growing at all of any kind. And so we need to make sure that we are spreading God's word at every opportunity we have. So we need to sow. And secondly, the thing that I get from this, and some of you've heard it before, we are not to inspect the soil. I remember the old timey preachers that I heard say, would say, you know, we're not soil inspectors, we're, we're sowers, not soil inspectors. Well, you know what? I think from the parable, that makes a lot of sense. It doesn't say that the sower went out and when he saw the path, he didn't put the seed there. He didn't say that he went out and he dug down to make sure that, you know, and if that the ground was too rocky, well, I'm not going to sow there. He didn't go out and look and see, ooh, there's a bunch of weeds there, so I'm not going to sow here. He didn't go out and find only what looked from the outside, perhaps, to be the best soil. He spread it, the seed everywhere that he went. Now, you know, I know farmers today and things like that, you know, they got fancy, you know, machinery that, that you know, puts the seed, you know, exactly in one hole maybe or whatever. Again, I know I'm beyond my expertise, but you get, you know, I understand that. But we're talking in a day before all that and basically it was done by hand. So you carried your seed in your bag and you just threw it out and wherever it landed, it landed. You hope that it landed in the good soil. And maybe you spent a little time, you know, digging around or whatever, but maybe you didn't have that opportunity. We do not have the ability to know people's hearts. We don't know people's hearts. And one thing that over and over again, Jesus warned the people around him during his ministry. And Paul warned the same thing. And that is, do not judge by outward appearances. Do not judge by outward appearances. If we see somebody and we make, or we come to the conclusion, or we come to the assumption, ah, they wouldn't be interested in hearing the gospel. We've made a grave mistake. We don't know what's going on in their lives. On the outside, they may appear to be the hardest cold-hearted person who would want absolutely nothing to do with the gospel or with religion or whatever. But if somebody shared it with them, we might be surprised 
They may be in a, in a situation, in a moment in their life at that precise time where they are receptive and, and, and cordial to hearing the good news. So it is not our jobs to inspect the soil and determine who is worthy or not worthy. Who might listen or might not listen to the gospel. And here's another reason why. Because there are times when the result may not be immediate. But we've planted the seed. And sometime in the future, they may listen. They may remember the seed that was sown. I was thinking about that and thinking about the prodigal son. If you, you took the prodigal son at his childhood and when he was rebellious to the father and all of that, you would think, well, this, he, he, he wants nothing to do with the good news. He wants nothing to do with, you know. And sure enough, you know, he went off and he lived his life and he did all that. But at some point, it says, he came to his senses. He came to his senses because he was taught. He came to his senses because the seed was sown. And we may not be able to see the immediate result. We may not ever see the actual result. But there may be a result there anyway because of the seed that we have sown. So we cannot, we're not to inspect the soil. And thirdly, we should help cultivate the soil. We may think that there is nothing that we can do about the hard ground. Now, when it talks about the hard ground and the birds come, I just imagine some beaten down dirt path where, you know, because it's used over and over and over again, there's just absolutely nothing will grow there. And the thought is that nothing would ever grow there. And we can look at people's hearts. And we may have tried to share the gospel with them. And they've been absolutely antagonistic towards it. They want absolutely nothing to do with it. But you know what? We still cultivate that soil. By our kindness. By showing our love. By being a Christian example. That may be the opportunity we have to soften up that soil. So that sometime in the future they will be receptive. I think I mentioned this before, but it's been a long time. So this is a new story for some of y'all. Uh, but when we lived in Colleen, we had, uh, we, we, we had a house and we had a dog. We had a, a Shetland sheepdog. I don't know if y'all know about Shetland sheepdogs, but they're very smart dogs. Unlike the beagle we had, which was an idiot. But, the, you know, the Shetland sheepdog is a very smart dog. And when we moved in, my dad did not want to build a fence. So what he, we did was, is we tied a string to the edge of the house and put it along to the neighbor's fence. And then we tied a string on the other side of the house and tied it around a tree or a bush or something like that. And every time the dog would cross the string, she got a little whop. But it didn't take long. Before the dog never crossed the string. And it didn't take long till we were able to take the string down. And the dog never crossed where the string used to be. 
Now, what she would do is if the UPS man or the mailman came or the meter reader or whoever else came, she would run from corner of the house to the corner of the house. And she wore a path out, which killed my dad that she had done this, but wore a path out. And he had this beautiful uh, St. Augustine lawn, you know. He had it. I had it. I'm the one who took care of it. But anyway, side the point. And she had just run this, and it was just packed hard and solid. No grass would grow. Years later, I went back and visited that house. And I just had to see. Hopefully there was nobody home as I skulk around the backyard. But uh, went around the backyard, and guess what? The path was not there. Grass was grown over. It was beautiful. Things had changed. And that can happen with people's hearts. We can help others develop roots within the church. We'll talk about that in a minute. We can help others set priorities and keep the weeds out. So we're transitioning now to evaluating from us being the sower to evaluating our own hearts and what kind of soil we are and how we can cultivate and should cultivate our own hearts. And the first thing we can see is that we must plow the soil. Now, I would guess that if I were to hand out a survey and I would say, you need to check Which soil represents your heart? A, the hard pathway. B, the rocky ground. C, the weedy ground. Or D, the good ground. I'm going to guess that there might not be a single person who would check A, the hard, the hard pathway ground. Because most of us think, well, I wouldn't be here. This is the Sunday night crowd. We wouldn't be here if we were the hard pathway. But I think that we maybe need to be careful. Because we could become the hard path By not doing what God says. If we close off our hearts to what God tells us. It goes back to the parable from two weeks ago. But if we just refuse to do what God tells us in our lives. Or if we refuse to do what God tells us in a certain part of our lives. Well I'm going to mostly follow God. I'm going to look really good on the outside. I'm even going to come to church on Sunday nights. But there's this little thing in my life that God wants me to change. There's a little thing in my life that I know I shouldn't be doing. But you know what? I don't care. I don't care. I think I'm good enough. I think I'm okay. Then we're in danger of becoming no better than the hard soil that doesn't listen to begin with. And we would never want to do that. We have to plow the soil of our hearts. We have to become open and receptive to God's word. We need to seek spiritual growth. 
We need to hunger and thirst after righteousness. We need to desire fellowship and service and worship and study. We should never become so hard-hearted to what God has told us to do. But secondly, we must put down roots. Notice the problem of the second soil, the one that had the, the shallow soil and then the sun came out and scorched it. You know what? The problem was not the sun. We might think that the problem was the sun. The sun came out, the sun was too hot, the sun beat down upon it and it scorched it. It's all the sun's fault. But Jesus says, no, 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 no. The problem wasn't the sun. The problem was that there was no root. That the plant didn't have any roots. Because you know what? The sun's going to come out. The scorching heat is going to come. From the parable two weeks ago, the rains are going to come and the winds are going to blow and the flood is going to rise and beat against our house. Those things are going to happen. It's not a matter of them not happening. It's a matter of whether or not we have the roots that are going to help us through those difficult times. Our roots will keep us grounded. And we plant roots by being part of the church family. By involving ourselves in service and worship and Bible study. These roots don't happen by accident. We have to, we have to intentionally begin planting roots in our lives so that we will be stronger when those things come. That's why it's so important, and I know we don't have many, but it's so important for parents of young children to begin cultivating those roots Begin allowing those roots to grow at the earliest age possible. Before all these other things come in and and get in the way. Our children need those roots. Again, go back to the prodigal son. He had some kind of root there. Some kind of root that drew him back. And we need that for our children and for ourselves as well. Thirdly. We must pull the weeds. That's the third group of soil. We have to get rid of those things that threaten our soil. Hebrews chapter 12 talks about getting rid and throwing aside the sin that so easily entangles us. We need to be careful about our priorities. We need to make sure that we have one priority and that is God. You know, these things that it talked about, the worries of life and the, uh, uh, you know, wealth, money and, and things like that. Those are two different things. You know, some things that can choke out our Christianity are in and of themselves neutral. Neither good nor bad. It's good that we have a job. You understand that? We need to work. The Bible tells us we need to work. But our job itself, not necessarily good or bad. Neutral. Our, what we do for recreation may not be good or bad. It's, it's just neutral. But when we allow those things that are neutral 
and maybe even tip towards the good, maybe even some good things, when we allow those to choke out the most important thing, then they're the weeds Jesus was talking about. And we need to be willing to get rid of those things in our lives or push them way down the list of priorities or whatever the case may be. Our problem is, I think sometimes, you know, they diagnosed my sister when she was in the second grade, I think, with before it was ADHD, it was just ADD, you know. And the idea was, you know, she couldn't focus on anything, things like that. And I talked about my dad. My dad has a, a hobby, ADD. He's had more hobbies in his lifetime than I can count. He's collected things. Now it's the guitar. He's on the guitar. He's playing the guitar. But he's been doing it for, it's about the longest thing I've ever seen, you know. But, you know, we'll go from one thing, we'll go from one thing, we'll go to another. I'm kind of like that. You know, for me, I've got to have my, for me to focus, I've got to have my desk clean, nothing else around. Because if there's anything else around, I'm going to go to that for a little while. And then there's this for a little while. And then there's this for a little while. And eventually nothing's going to get done right. But we don't want to be like that in our spiritual life. We want to make sure that we are intensely focused on our one priority. On the one thing that really matters. All these other things are out there, but the one thing that really matters is our relationship with God. And we can't let all the other weeds choke out that priority. And fourthly, we can reap the harvest. Isn't that neat? He said to the seed that fell on the good soil, it produced a crop 30 times, 60 times, even 100 times what was sown. Now, I'm not sure in light of the parable exactly what the harvest is. You know, that's one of the things Jesus, Jesus didn't explain the harvest. When he explained the parable, just repeated the exact same thing he said in the parable itself. Now, if we take the first interpretation. That we are the sower. Then it would be reasonable to assume that the harvest would be Christians. That when we go out and we sow the seed and, and you know, Paul said one plants, you know, one waters, God gives the increase. That we will see a crop. We will see 30, 60, 100 fold. But in the other way, I think the harvest has to do more With our lives. Jesus said I have come that they might have life. That you might have life. And have it more abundantly. That you might have a full life. When we open our heart to God. When we do things God way. When we're the good soil. And we allow him to work. We'll have an abundant life. We'll see the fruit of the spirit. Begin to grow within us. And produce a harvest. And eventually. He's promised us a harvest of eternal life. That'd be the hundredfold or the thousandfold or the bazillionfold, would it not? So Jesus tells us from telling, showing us his parable, in one sense, sow. Sow the seed. Every chance you get. Don't worry about 
testing the soil. Just sow the seed. God will handle the rest of it. And then in the other interpretation, make sure that we are cultivating our own hearts so that we don't become the hard or rocky or weedy soil that God sees us allowing His Word to grow inside us. If you're here this evening in some way we can help or encourage you, we invite you to come now as we stand and as we sing. We hope by listening to this lesson, you have found a better understanding of the Bible. And through that better understanding, find a closer relationship with God and His Son, Jesus Christ, our living Savior. If you have any questions or desire more information, please feel free to contact us here at the Dangerfield, Texas Church of Christ. You can find us at dfield.org. That's D-F-I-E-L-D-C-O-C dot O-R-G. Or you can email at dfieldcoc779 at aol.com. Or you can call us at 903-645-2896. If you are local to the Dangerfield area, we would love an opportunity to meet you and encourage you in person at 818 West W.M. Watson Boulevard, Dangerfield, Texas. 75638. Our meeting times are Sunday mornings at 9.30 a.m. for Bible class and 10.30 a.m. for worship service, Sunday evening at 6 p.m. for worship service, and Wednesday evening at 6.30 p.m. for our midweek Bible class. Grace and peace be with you always.